It's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. It's our privilege to come together to study the word of God, to recognize that God does have a plan for us, a purpose for us in this life at this time. God has brought you to this point of time for his purposes. So we need to focus on finding that purpose, fulfilling that purpose, and recognizing that God has given provision for us to be able to carry out his will. Whether we do our will or not, that's our choice. Whether we do his will or not, that's our choice. And so God has given us freedom to choose, and it's a wonderful blessing. So we're going to look at some of the things that God has purposed for us while we are yet here. Uh, We continue to pray for our pastor while he is gone. He is supposed to be back uh, standing in his pulpit on Sunday. So we pray for his safe return, for his health uh, when he comes back. He did send a, a short video This is from Ukraine, and um, I do not speak Ukrainian, therefore I will not interpret. Uh, But uh, what this is, uh, it's the delivery of uh, the book, God's Powerful Promises, which has been translated into Ukrainian, and Igor Smolyar from Zhitomir, many of you know Igor, he has had this uh, translated, and this is the delivery of those promise books uh, to Ukraine. So um, this is very brief, so uh, you can take it for Praise God, brothers. <laughs> oh. Why are we not seeing this? Technicians. You've got your um, presentation up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, can you take take it down? Yeah. Oh. Sorry. There we are. Okay, you saw <laughs> saw the end of it. You didn't miss much from the beginning. It shows about the same thing. People are excited about getting this book. And uh, so you can see the truck has arrived. It has the books in the back, and people have come to um, take possession of those so and distribute those. And uh, I would ask you to pray for the distribution of these books because they um, they have in them not only God's promises for the believer, but they also have God's promises related to salvation. And uh, it can be used as a great witness, a great gospel outreach. And so uh, these are booklets that are going to be passed out uh, in the cities, but they're also going to go to the front lines where uh, we have uh, soldiers who are facing death every day who are in combat. It's a real war. We're half a world away from that, and I think uh, sometimes we're not really touched by it. But uh, I watch those images, and uh, many of those cities, I have been in those cities. And I know men who are on the front lines, and... Uh, It's a real war, and uh, I I want to encourage you to keep on praying for Ukraine. Pray for these people. Uh, It's a desperate situation. And yet God is using this time for his own purposes. There are people standing strong who are witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ in spite of terrible circumstances. And God is going to be glorified through that. So pray for these people. Pray for the Christians there that they're going to be strong and they're going to have a great testimony. And 
uh, we're going to see many, many people come to faith in Christ uh, because now they are face-to-face with their own mortality. And they're going to have to consider where they're going to spend eternity. So uh, we pray that God is going to be glorified in spite of the great suffering that's going on in the human realm. So as we come to our time together in study, let's go to the Lord in prayer. We give thanks to you, Heavenly Father, that you are a God of mercy. And oftentimes we don't understand the course of this world and we see so much evil, so much suffering, uh, so many bad things. And yet, Father, you have a purpose for us right now and, and your purpose will be fulfilled. And in spite of all that Satan is doing, all of the conflict in the world, we have cause for rejoicing because you are a God of grace You're a God of love, and we can rejoice in who you are in spite of what's going on. So we see your love, we see your mercy, we see the abundance of provision. And we give thanks that we can know you and that we can know your plan. And because we have looked into your word, we can have stability and strength and a peace that the world can't know because it's the world that Jesus gives. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that this night you'll help us to grow in our faith, our understanding of your purpose and plan, and we would ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we'll see if I can get my PowerPoint back up here. All right, we've been talking about the progress of missions, missionary activity, and also how this is related to our mandate to do evangelism, that we have a gospel message that we are to share with the world. And uh, very quickly, we uh, did a run-through in the book of Acts. I just want to uh, show how the Apostle Paul did not try to do everything by himself. Paul was a team player, and he was always focused on taking people with him. He was focused on training others so that they could carry on the work without him. And in fact, uh, in many cases, the Apostle Paul could not go where he wanted to go. He was prevented, as we saw last time, by the Holy Spirit uh, from going to certain places. And you'd say, well, if a man wants to go preach the gospel in some place, why wouldn't God let him do it? And it's just that God is able to uh, engineer circumstances. We call this providence. Uh, And this prevented Paul from going certain places. And so he had to settle down in one place, and he opened up a Bible school. And for three years he taught in one place, and he trained a lot of people. And they went and they covered the whole area where Paul wanted to go and They had so many more converts than Paul could have possibly produced on his own. And and he is training people to go out. And uh, it's interesting when you go through the book of Acts and then you go through the epistles of Paul to see how many people he actually influenced and trained and uh, put into place so that they could do their own ministry. And this is the principle that we have in missions that the missionary needs to train others so that he can move on, so that he doesn't have to stay in in one place and continue to do ministry that does not involve the nationals. He needs to train others so that when he leaves the field, for whatever reason, be it death or health or uh, just move to a different ministry, what he established will remain. So... We have Paul and Barnabas, and they came to the church in Antioch in Syria, 
And the church in Antioch is a great model for the church today. It was a church that became very inclusive, that had not only Jews, but it had in it Gentiles. And we see also that this church was missions-minded, and they sent out Paul and Barnabas and John Mark on what we call Paul's first missionary journey. John Mark just went a short ways with them, and then he turned around and went home. Paul and Barnabas went on and traveled to several cities in the in what we now call Turkey. Uh, along the way, they also picked up uh, Titus. But then you recall, uh, after the first missionary journey, Paul and uh, had gone back to Antioch, and he was going to go on a second missionary journey. And Barnabas wanted to go with him and take John Mark, and Paul said, I'm not going to take John Mark uh, with us. And so there was a dispute between uh, Paul and Barnabas at that time, and they split up. And Barnabas and John Mark, they went their own way on their own missionary journey. And instead we have Paul and Silas, and they go out on the second missionary journey. But uh, on this journey, they met a young man by the name of Timothy, and Timothy began to travel with them, and he was trained by the Apostle Paul. And Paul in 2 Timothy 2.2 gave the instructions, Timothy, what you learn from me, and you've heard this in, uh, in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to teach these things to faithful men, but then I want you to train them in such a way that they will give this message to others. And it's very important that we train not just the people here, but you need to be trained so that you can train the next generation of believers so that it doesn't stop with you. And so we need to be focusing on what comes after we are gone because you are here for a purpose. But what's going to be when the Lord calls you home? or calls you to a different place. We need to be involved in training others, whoever we are. Uh, Paul and Silas, they also meet up with the physician Luke. They meet uh, this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, and uh, they were uh, a wonderful couple, and they are the ones who gave instruction to Apollos. Apollos was a tremendous preacher. He was a great orator, and he was really able to engage an audience like few people could do. But he didn't have his doctrine all straight, and so uh, Priscilla and Aquila uh, took him aside, and they began to give him instruction uh, as to the correct doctrine. And then Paul and Aquila and Priscilla, they also had ministries, and they uh, kept on meeting other men and training them for ministry all along the way. So uh, by the time you get through the book of Acts and all of the epistles of Paul, we see that Paul was about the business of training others. All right, uh, I want to go through some statistics tonight. You're going to say, boring I hope they won't be. I hope this will uh, spark your interest. Um, what's going on with missions today? Europe is essentially a pagan country. And it's hard for us to think in those terms because we call it civilized. I mean, it's industrialized. And you go to many of these cities and they are modern and all the lights and everything looks so good and they have all of the modern conveniences. And yet, essentially, it is a pagan cultural culture. Less than 5% of the population would be classified as evangelical Christians. Now, some people have criticized me saying, well, what are you doing going to this country where you, they already have so many Christians? <laughs> well, the problem is they don't have that many Christians. That is true believers in Jesus. And they need the gospel and they need to grow. And 
I love working with the Ukrainians because there we have a great platform for doing ministry because we still have a hearing for the Word of God. We can engage people in spiritual things. And the Ukrainians are growing. They are growing tremendously. They are maturing in their faith. And we are seeing how this is working out in the present conflict. So many of our people are out there on the front lines doing the work of the ministry. They are evangelizing. They are teaching the Word of God. I just got a a letter today from one of our uh, college students. And he wrote and said, I've just been teaching the Ukrainians. And he talked about how he's gone now through the first ten chapters of the book of Romans, teaching them, just teach, teach, teach. To me, it's such a blessing to see that these people that have been trained are busy in the Lord's field. Um, So Europe at one time was a major force in missions, but today it's certainly very different, and there's very little uh, missionary activity. Churches aren't sending out missionaries from Europe very much. There are a few, but very few. American Christianity, uh, deeply engrossed in secular materialism. Fewer missionaries are going out. Less and less funds are being given to the need. People spend more on dog food today than is given to missions. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I I was amazed. I... uh, (laughs) I looked up some things online today, and uh, what do Christians earn? Now, evangelical Christians, this is not mainline uh, people who say they're Christians but aren't really involved in Christianity to any extent. We're not talking about those who are nominal. But evangelical Christians, those who say, I have put my faith in Christ for salvation, Annual income, more than $6 trillion. That's from the evangelicals. What do people give? <laughs> $896 billion. Well, that sounds like a lot of money until you begin to uh, break this down and realize that's about how much we spend in America on Christmas for one holiday. We'll spend as much as we do for Christian giving. Giving to missions, about $52 billion last year, which is only 5.8% of the money given to Christian causes of any kind. When I say Christian causes of any kind, we're talking about many things. It could be the Salvation Army. It could be uh, relief for orphans uh, in some country. It's just... uh, Money given to Christian causes of any kind. Americans have recently spent more money buying Halloween costumes for their pets than the amount that they give to the unreached. Now, we'll define the unreached in a minute. So here's how that breaks down. How do, how do Christians spend their money from America? About 82% goes to local churches. That's to pay for the air conditioning and the uh, things that we enjoy, salaries and so on. 82% spent right here at home. Now, home missions uh, in the same Christian nations, about 12%. Now, this could be... Uh, again, supporting good things. It may be a, a Christian children's home. It may be uh, other things that we do for evangelism. It may be rescue missions. And then to unevangelized non-Christian countries, about 5.7%. Now, non-Christian countries are defined this way where less than 3% of the population would claim to be Christian. 
So there are countries where there are a few Christians, less than 3%. But they say, well, there there is a Christian presence, but they are not evangelized. And often there's not much uh, evangelistic ministry going on. But they get uh, ministry to non-Christian world, about 5.7. To unreached peoples, about 1.7%. Unreached people, these are places where they have fewer than that 3% of uh, Christians. And many of these people in the unreached area have never heard even the name of Jesus Christ. So the way this breaks down is for every $100,000 that Christians make, they give $1.70 to the unreached. All right. Um, Until recently, Americans spent more on golf balls and Twinkies then was given to reach the unreached. Is that amazing? Last year, now this was uh, last year's statistics. $124 billion was spent on our furry friends in the U.S. That's dogs and cats. I was also surprised to read that some 5 million people in America keep reptiles. So I mean, maybe you're into snakes and gators, but uh, anyway, 124 billion spent on pets. That's an equivalent to the network of Bill Gates or 163,000 houses in New York City. An average U.S. pet owner will spend 1,480 dollars a year on a dog, 900 dollars on their cat. So those are 2021 statistics, and you want to figure in current inflation, uh, it's going to be even more than that. So where are we putting our money? Well, it's not into missions. Does it make a difference? Well, it does make a difference. It makes a difference in a lot of different ways. It's actually costly for us that we don't invest more in missions because as we invest in missions, more people get saved, and as people get saved... Uh, we can lessen the amount of evil. So you see, and people want to go out and close down an abortion clinic or something like that, well, why don't we just witness to the doctor and get him saved? And uh, that that would solve a lot of problems, wouldn't it? So uh, if you get people saved uh, from foreign countries, that's also going to save us a lot of problems uh, with regard to foreign aid, with regard to warfare and other things. And we have a tremendous opportunity, even right here in Houston or here in America, where we have a million foreign students at our universities. Most of these foreign students who come here are from well-to-do families, connected people, people who have military, uh, well, some military, some political connections, some are in the industrial world, but influential people. And yet very few of these international students are ever presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have a tremendous opportunity. I mean, you can't go to the mission field. Well, you can go to (laughs) Rice or University of Houston or other colleges and find foreign students and invite them to your house. Say, come and have an American meal. Come and see how an American lives, and then bring them to church. Many of them are very lonely, particularly on holidays, over Thanksgiving, Christmas. All the Americans go home, and here they are. They're left all alone, and they don't know what it's about. You can say, how would you like to experience an American Thanksgiving? Let's show what we do on Thanksgiving. Then you get them to your house, and you can tell them, what Thanksgiving is all about and why we are so thankful, and you can take that opportunity, give them the gospel. And then when they go back home, 
if they've come to faith in Christ, then they can evangelize their family. They can have an impact. They can make a difference. Church attendance in America amounts to about 25% of the population on any Sunday. Now, that's just across the board. We're not just talking about Bible-believing people here. But commitment is sorely lacking. Godly living is virtually missing. We have, sadly, statistics in churches today that are not much different from statistics among those who are unchurched as far as divorces, alcoholism, and other problems. And overall, in the church is very little missions impetus. Phyllis and I visited a church telling about what we were doing on the mission field and uh, the opportunities out there. And this pastor said, we didn't even know there were any missionaries out there. Shocking. They didn't even know. Now, as of 2022, we've got, <laughs> we've got a significant date coming up in November of this year. They say that the population on our tiny planet is going to reach 8 billion this November. Um, I don't know if there's going to be a prize for baby 8 billion, but <laughs> that's what they say we're going to reach that mark. But know that there are billions of people alive today who have never heard of Jesus Christ, let alone the gospel. Billions and billions. Of course, we throw billions around anymore, and we can't really conceive just how big that number is. Because now we talk about trillions, so billions is just like pocket change anymore. But when we have... Maybe half the world is in a place where there is no gospel message. So what? Also, there are 1.7 billion Muslim in the world today. That's almost 25% of the world's population, and it's growing. We need to be thinking about how we can reach people. Because the, there are more people being born every day than are being saved every day. And so we're in a shrinking pond. We become a smaller percentage. We need to be out reaching people with the gospel. There is a man by the name of Barna who is a very well-respected uh, poll taker. He does surveys. And he's a Christian, evangelical Christian, very solid, and uh, he, he's done a lot of studies, particularly interviewing people from churches, Christian ministries, um, and he he makes a distinction between uh, nominal Christians and evangelical Christians. Evangelicals are those who uh, will say, I have put my faith in Christ for salvation. I'm trusting him to go to heaven. I'm not trusting in my works. And... Um, so he, he did a recent survey about half of evangelical Christians have shared their faith with others. Half. Which means 50% haven't. And some of these people have been Christians for 20, 30, 40 years. They have never told anybody else about Jesus Christ. They've never told anybody else how they can go to heaven when they die. I was really surprised when I read this this report that whites share their faith less than black or Hispanic evangelicals, percentage-wise. I was really surprised. Half of all born-again whites, 49%, evangelized in the past year, but almost two-thirds of born-again blacks, 63%, had done so, and three-quarters of born-again Hispanics were active in spreading their faith views. Startling statistics. But I can tell you also, and I, I, I've been in, in many countries. We've done a lot of traveling. and 
what we see is the people that are out doing evangelism, the people that are out doing missions, mostly are Pentecostals. Mostly they are charismatics. They have a zeal to see other people saved. And I admire their zeal. Many places we go, uh, church after church after church, but they're all mixed up doctrinally. But you talk to these people, and many of them, they, they know Jesus. They love Jesus. They're trusting in him to go to heaven. We need to have people that have a vision to reach the lost, that have a zeal that want to see people come to faith in Christ and then grow in their faith. Methods of evangelism among American Christians. How do you talk to people about the Lord? Well, this is still part of that Barna survey <clears throat> where he said, okay, you share your faith, how do you do it? <laughs> I, this is very interesting. He lists like the top ten ways that uh, people evangelize. One way is to offer to pray with a non-Christian who is in need of encouragement or support. Phyllis and I had a strange experience here a few weeks ago. We were with a pastor and his wife, and uh, we went into this restaurant, and uh, we were sitting there, and the woman came, and uh, <clears throat> She was uh, ready to take our order, and uh, she, we, we told her what we wanted to eat, and uh, she said, well, uh, do you have any questions? And this man said, how can we pray for you? And she looked at him, strangest look, what? How can we pray for you? She said, well, you can pray that I can get away from this table, you know, it's a, but apparently this is a technique that he uses when he, he sees people. He says, can I pray for you? You have some need. Well, I thought it was a little strange to just spring this on a, a waitress uh, while she's working, but <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe uh, it opens doors for him. But we, we know that uh, one of our missionaries in Ukraine, a uh, wonderful woman, maybe some of you know her, Luda, Ugrimova, she's been here to the church. She, she's a tremendous evangelist and a good Bible teacher. And, uh, one of the things that she's doing now with refugees, those who have been displaced because of the war, now they're away from their homes. Their husbands and sons have been left behind because they, they can't leave the country. And so these women are really hurting. They had to leave everything behind, and now they've just got a suitcase and nothing else. And Luda says, you know, you, you've been through a lot. Would you like me to pray for you? And the women say, yeah, I'd be, <laughs> be glad for you to pray. And so she'll pray for him. She says, now we're going to have a Bible study a little later tonight. Why don't you come? I think it would be good. And so she's using that as a, as a technique. So it might be you, you find somebody that's hurting. You see somebody, oh, you know, I've got to go to the doctor or my... My husband's having surgery or, you know, my grandchild is sick. And you, you might offer to pray with them and uh, use that as an, an opportunity to develop a rapport with them so that at some point you'll be able to give them the gospel. Uh, then there's something that uh, somebody called it Socratic evangelism. This is where you start a discussion in which you intentionally ask a non-Christian um, what he believes concerning a particular moral or spiritual matter. And then you just keep on asking questions without intruding your own opinion. You just keep asking them questions. Well, what do you believe about this? And people come, they complain about the uh, political situation or something else. And you say, well, what do you think the solution is? What, what do you think will fix that problem? And ultimately, there is no human solution. There are only spiritual solutions. But you keep asking them questions. Okay, what's the implication of this? 
And it's not a matter of attacking and saying, well, you're an idiot if you think that, or you've just got to be wrong uh, about that. But try to get them to explain how they're going to solve the problem or what are the implications of their of their belief. Then there, of course, is the moral confrontation. <laughs> well, you know, what you're doing is wrong. That's just sin. Uh, perhaps not the <laughs> best approach, but in some cases it might work, depending on the person to whom you speak. Uh, but then you need to be sure to give the biblical basis of your view and an alternative approach. In other words, it's just not a matter of condemning them, but rather saying God has solved that problem. Yeah, because of your actions, God has said you're under a curse, but Christ became a curse for us. So you can uh, be sure to lead into the gospel and not just condemn the behavior. Uh, Then there are event-oriented strategies. So maybe you're too shy to talk to them about the gospel, but invite them to church. Well, a lot of people go to church, so that's not you know, quite so uh, so strange. Okay, well, you go to church, and <clears throat> maybe you'd be more comfortable just inviting them to uh, church or to an outreach event. What's an outreach event? Well, maybe you have a, a party at your house. There was a pastor in Albuquerque who who built a great church. He had a great strategy. He started out with just a handful of people in his church. He had eight couples. And in three years, he'd build his church to, I don't know, over a 1,000 people. And his strategy was really interesting. He told these eight people in his church, these eight couples, okay, I want you to invite me to your house every Friday night. And so you only have to do it once every two months. And I want you to have a really great dinner. And I want you to invite two couples who aren't saved. Neighbors, family, but they can't be churched people. I want you to invite two couples and put on a really nice meal. And so on Friday night, he'd get an invitation to come. And they would sit there and they would have this wonderful meal. And he never talked about Jesus. He just got to know the people. And then he would say, boy, I really enjoyed getting to know you people tonight. Could I come by and visit with you? Would it be all right if I stopped by and just chatted with you this week? And people said, well, yeah, he seems harmless enough. He's a nice guy. I enjoyed the time with him. Yes, come. And so then during the week, he would go call on those two couples. And there he would give them the gospel. And then the next Friday night, he'd go to a different house, different couple, and meet new people. So he did this for about three years and uh, put on about 100 pounds. And <laughs> but he brought a lot of people to faith in Jesus. Outreach event. Uh, so maybe you could plan something. I don't know, pool party, whatever it is. You do something with the intention of bringing people to a place where they're going to hear the gospel. Uh, Invite them over to watch a video or uh, some other event. Uh, The least used methods were giving evangelistic literature. Now, some people are very good at this. Those of you who know Bert Kamerzin, he gives out those uh, gospel coins. There are people I've known who can give out literature, and they do it very effectively. Now, I've also seen the Blitz campaign where people just go out and they're going to hand out tracts to everybody on the street that walks by, and then a half hour later it looks like they had a ticker tape parade because you see all of these tracts been thrown on the sidewalk. But there are others who know how to use them. They, they approach people and say, hey, would you read this and tell me what you think about it? Or, hey, I've got something really interesting I read here. What do you think about this? Or, in some cases, could I read this to you? Uh, and uh, they're, they're very good at, at what they do. Uh, so th- that's one thing. And there are people who have been saved through gospel tracts or even through the distribution of Bibles. 
New Testaments, gospel portions, or we just saw that video at the beginning, the, these promise books that have a lot of promises to encourage believers, but they all, it also has the gospel in there. And so there are people who will read these things and come to realize, I need a Savior. God made promises about salvation. Uh, there are others who send evangelistic letters or emails to non-Christians. Again, uh, there are some people who are very good at this. They know how to do it and do it uh, in a way that uh, is non-threatening, non-invasive, but still they give the gospel. Then uh, there are some, very few, they can still go out on the street or other public places and actually preach Jesus. One summer I worked with a group called the Open Air Campaigners, and we went downtown Chicago, I mean downtown, and they had a big van and pulled out a platform, and the man would uh, begin to do this chalk talk. He was very good at drawing things on this board, and uh, he would gather a crowd. I used to play the trumpet. I'd play my trumpet and gather a crowd, and people don't know what's going on, but uh, oftentimes we'd go down there, and we might have 35, 40 people stand around, and he'd, he'd take about 20 minutes and give a gospel presentation and then ask people to put their faith in Christ. Some people can do that. Most people can't, but uh, there still is street preaching that does go on. So these are the uh, top ten methods used uh, for people to do personal evangelism. But I would give a challenge to the church, 15 reasons why the church has failed with regard to missions. Now, I'm not pointing the finger at this church at all uh, because we certainly have a growing awareness of missions here. And, uh, and and I'm just so pleased to see that. But this is the church by and large, what we see in local churches across the country, even our evangelical churches. So many of them, they have no missions awareness. So there's a failure to pray for the lost, for the spread of the gospel or for missionaries on the field, or for workers to go and work in the field. So we saw that verse that said, the harvest indeed is great, but the laborers are few. One of the things that we can do is to be praying that God is going to raise up missionaries. We need to be doing that. We need to encourage others. Hey, have you ever thought about going to the mission field? Have you ever thought about doing that somewhere in a foreign country? We need to encourage people. We need to be telling people to think about doing that. And I think that's been absent in many of our Bible teaching churches where they just haven't had that focus on sending out missionaries. And so if we don't promote it, people aren't going to think about it. And I think as a result, there are many people that need to go that uh, never even consider it. We also need to be praying for missionaries on the field. And we have a list of missionaries from this church that um, we support either financially or in prayer. I hope you're praying for them and praying for them daily, praying for them earnestly. These people are out in a place, out of their comfort zone, away from home. Oftentimes they have no one around them that speaks their native language. Oftentimes they're in a culture that is so very different that you can't imagine. And it can be lonely. And sometimes it can be very challenging. Sometimes it can be very frightening. And we need to be praying for those missionaries. So I hope that you will pray. And then we have too few in the church being involved in missions by going. All right, we touched, touched on that. And there's also, not in this church, but in many churches, a failure to teach the Great Commission as a command for the church today. There are those who say, that, that doesn't apply to us. That's, that was done by the apostles. That's a different dispensation. Or they, uh, 
Uh, just don't pay any attention to it. But I believe that we have a command with regard to missions. Uh, in some cases, there's been a concentration on evangelism to the ne- neglect of discipleship. So we are more interested in making converts and not making disciples. It's true in many places. It's true with many missions, groups. They are really focused on evangelism. It's wonderful. They bring people to faith in Christ, but then they don't teach them. So I think this is a failure on the part of the church. Also, a failure to preach a pure gospel. This is a tremendous problem. Missionaries are a reflection of the churches from which they come. So many churches today are teaching a false gospel, a lordship, salvation. Uh, You have to work to get saved or you have to work to prove that you are saved or to keep your salvation. Or they intrude all kinds of works. You have to believe and be baptized. You have to believe and give up your bad habits. You have to believe and become a member of our denomination or something. And uh, we see a lot of that. We just don't have a pure gospel. And then, of course, there's lack of adequate financial support by the church at home. Some people think it's right that missionaries should be poor and uh, live in poverty. Um, But in many cases, you have missionaries on the field who are struggling financially, and they are there because they love the Lord, they love the work, they want to do the work. And yet, it's very, very difficult because they don't have adequate support. And we need to see that those that we are supporting are being taken care of. All right, there's also contextualizing the message rather than the method of communication. In other words, this this is trying to interpret the Bible according to the culture where where you find yourself, and, and this just makes things all mixed up. Uh, or by focusing on social physical needs while neglecting spiritual needs, this becomes a social gospel in many cases. I mean, you go out to the mission field and you see people that are living in dire poverty beyond what you could imagine, where they have nothing. And where they live, it's just conditions that uh, you, you just really can't imagine unless you've seen it. And so our heart goes out. We, we, we so much want to help. But oftentimes people begin to help and focus on meeting the physical needs and neglect the spiritual needs. But then you also have um, the other side where people focus on the spiritual and forget the physical. Uh, we need to have those in balance. And then uh, we fail to identify with respect and relate well to the culture of the people that are being ministered to. In other words, sometimes missionaries isolate themselves, and they really don't interact with the people. They don't. They don't bond with the people. They they really don't have a a good understanding of who these people are. This was. The problem that David Livingstone had when he was in Zambia, when he first went there, the missionaries all lived inside a compound. They were all inside these walls, and they would go out during the day, and they would talk to the natives. But then when the sun was going down, they would go back behind their walls, and they they never got to know the people. They didn't eat their food. They didn't interact with them. They didn't get to know the culture. They just went out and gave them the gospel, and Livingstone said, no, this is not right. We need to know these people. We need to live with these people. We need uh, to become part of them. And so he uh, was greatly criticized, but he moved out of the compound. And uh, he became very beloved among the uh, people in that part of Africa. All 
Also, we have a problem sometimes we concentrate on buildings, facilities, and equipment instead of edification of the, of the people. So we have missionaries go out, and a lot of times the first thing they want to do is put up a building. Well, I understand the need to have a place to meet, but oftentimes the, the resources become focused on the material instead of upon the, on the spiritual, instead of getting people trained and equipped And we have a problem with missionaries doing all the work for the ministry, not equipping the nationals. It's the indigenous principle where you train the nationals so that the missionary can move on. Okay, often we just have a, a failure to fulfill the Great Commission. We have too few missionaries ministering the gospel and sound doctrine to too few people in too few places. And so many churches are just not involved in missions in any significant way. And we have too few converts growing to maturity, becoming involved in doing the work of the ministry. So what has happened in, in our country See, we, had, we reached our peak right after World War II, the peak of missions activity. And it's been a downhill slide ever since as far as missionary work is concerned. And what, what happened is we, we've got distracted by methods. And much of the missionary activity has been replaced by such things as mass evangelism, crusade evangelism. I had a, a roommate when I was at Moody Bible Institute uh, <clears throat> about 60 years ago. He was a missionary kid. He grew up in India. His parents were missionaries in a rather remote area in northern India. And they labored in that field. They loved their work. They were there to evangelize, and they worked among people for more than 25 years. But after all of that time, they could only point to a couple dozen people who had really become believers and were growing in the Lord. But then some evangelist came, and they had a big crusade, and thousands of people uh, came to to hear this evangelism. They really um, drummed up the interest in that. And then this evangelist reported after it was over, thousands of people got saved in the crusade. So the mission board wrote the parents of my roommate and said, what's wrong with you? How come you've been out there for 25 years and you only have a handful of converts? This guy comes in and we've got thousands who get saved. What's wrong with you? <laughs> well, the fact is, a month later, they still had their converts in church. But all those that said they got saved, where are they? Maybe some got saved. We hope so. But maybe they didn't. We really don't know. But the point is, that, you see, we, 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 we got into this idea, oh, let's have this big crusade and people will get saved. And, and we stopped thinking about putting missionaries on the, on the field. And we'll send in some man who uh, is going to put on some big show and um, he's going to uh, do the work of evangelism and, and so we don't have to have missionaries. There was a man from here in Texas, I won't call his name. He's been going to Ukraine once a year for several years. And I, I went to see his production one night when he was in Kiev. Oh, and he's, he puts on a show. I mean, it's, it's really well done. It's professional. He's got these musicians, top-notch musicians. And they, they, they do about half the show or... 40, 60% of it, and uh, it's very good. And then he comes out and you know, he, he preaches this message, not a really clear gospel, but he gets out there and preaches. And then he asked people to make some decision for Christ. And so after he had been there in Kiev, I 
uh, I read his newsletter and he talked about how many thousands of people got saved that one night in Kiev. And I, I wrote him a letter. I usually don't write to these people. But I wrote him a letter and I said, most of the people that were in your audience that night are already church people. These are people that are already Christians. They came. They wanted to hear this Christian music. And, uh, you know, they're, they're glad to fill out a form for you. If it's going to make you feel good, they'll say, oh, yeah. Plus, also, they got a free DVD if they filled out the form. So <laughs> uh, but I, I said, I, I don't think you can really say that thousands of people got saved uh, that night. But the point I'm trying to make here is sometimes we be, begin to think that there is a replacement for the plan of God. There's nothing wrong with having a crusade. I'm, I'm not opposed to doing that. But we don't find that in Scripture. What we find is sending out missionaries, somebody doing evangelistic work. It may start out one-on-one like Paul witnessing to this girl named Lydia, first convert in Europe. And then more people got saved, more people got saved. And then you put them into a church and you train people. It's got to be that way. So um, what are we going to do? I'm pleased with the interest that we have here in missions. I believe that God can do a great work through this church that he wants to. I think about that church in Antioch. They sent out the first missionaries, had a tremendous impact, ended up changing the world. And that can start here. God can use this little congregation to do great things. I think if we'll focus on what we're called to do, You have as pastor of this church one of the finest Bible teachers in all the world today. You have good, sound Bible doctrine. You all have backgrounds in doctrinal teaching. But we need to be doing ministry. The work of the pastor is to train you for the work of the ministry. But God wants to use you in some way. Part of that is going to be giving the gospel. Part of that is going to be praying. Part of that is going to be going. I just want to encourage you to consider these things. How are you going to fulfill God's purpose for your life? I think he's got a great future for this church, but also for you. So let's keep our focus. Father in heaven, I give thanks that you're patient. You put up with us. You give us time to grow. You also give us opportunity to serve. Father, I pray that you will open doors for ministry. I pray that you will open opportunities. And when we see those opportunities, we're going to be willing to say yes. We're going to do what we can do. We thank you for the equipping that has been available through this church, through the Bible teaching. I thank you that we can know that you have a plan and a purpose and whatever you've called us to do, you've provided for it so that we can fulfill your will. I just pray you'll challenge us in, in these areas. And if we've fallen short, May we make up that deficit. If we have failed, may we say yes next time you open a door for us. I thank you, Father, for those who are missionaries who have gone out, those who have been faithful in serving you in many places, some of them difficult places, some where there is suffering and deprivation, primitive living conditions, some with a lot of pressure. Father, I just pray that you're going to sustain them 
provide their needs, provide abundantly for them. And Father, I pray that even this day you're going to cause something to happen that's just going to make them laugh with joy, that you will give them reward, even something they can see today that will just encourage them, that will increase their faith, that will make them glad that they're doing what they're doing. So I'm just asking you cause something to happen in their life today that will just lift them up. But, Father, I pray that you will take these principles, challenge us by them, and I pray that out of this church we will have missionaries who will go to many places, bring that good news of salvation in Christ. You'll be glorified through West Houston. We'd ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.